Welcome to Have Hope, Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and today we're here with my friend, Lise Farah. Lise is a spoken word artist. She's a poet. She's a seminary student. She is an entrepreneur. This woman is going places, and she's going to be a mama like two months from now. So this woman gets stuff done, y'all. First of all, Lise Farah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am so excited. This has been a long time coming, and I'm glad that we are finally here. Yes. So... (laughs) I would love to start out just hearing a little bit about yourself. You have a pretty diverse background, and so let's let everyone know where you're coming to us from. Yeah, of course. So um, my name is Lise Farah. I go by Lise or Lise Farah. Um, I was, I'm originally from Haiti. I was born in the beautiful, beautiful island of Haiti, um, and I came to the U.S. when I was pretty young, lived in Florida, Georgia, um, before finally kind of making my way up here to Minnesota with my husband after he got an amazing job opportunity at General Mills. Um, I'm bilingual, so I still speak in my native tongue of Creole French as well as English. Um, I went to the beautiful University of Georgia, go dogs. Um, and like you said, I'm currently a seminary student here at Bethel University. Um, I do a lot of things. I feel like when I hear people say all the things that I do, I'm just like, Wait, me? Like, I do all <laughs> um, But it's been a blessing. I think that um, God gives you the grace and capacity to do many things when you're in alignment with him. Um, so it never feels like I'm doing all of these things. It's just like I put on these hats because that's what God is needing me to do at that moment. Um, I have an amazing husband, Kosi. He is a data engineer at General Mills, but like I said before. And we have a little Bichon puppy named Kairos. And I'm expecting our first baby boy um, in March. So I'm, like, super excited to add, like, mom to that little title and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, so just a little bit about me. I do a lot of work in ministry. Ministry is my life. My faith is my foundation. And it's like, yeah, I feel like if I get to wake up every single day and teach people about God and Um, work with people and especially women, then it's like, that's just been a really, really good day. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah, that is awesome. Are women your ministry passion point? Um, Yeah, I would definitely say women are my ministry passion point. I think sometimes like at the very beginning when God kind of like called me away from some of the other things I wanted to do into ministry, Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to help everybody. And God's like, that's great. Uh, but I need you to help women because that is kind of where I've called you to help women. So doing that a lot with women, um, specifically like young adults. So mm-hmm. usually you know, between the ages of like 18 and like 27, 28 kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I'm excited to kind of see where God kind of takes that. And as I open more up to that, because I'm soon not going to be in that age range either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I had a little eye opening experience maybe two, three years ago when I realized I wasn't a young adult anymore. Yeah, it's 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 kind of crazy because right now I lead the young adults at my church. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Blue Oaks Church, um, and I'm kind of like, oh, okay, like you know, 18. We're like 18 to 28 right now, and I turn 27 in a few months, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Um. While you were chatting about being bilingual and your son. I, my mind was blown when you said there are a lot of Disney movies you get to watch for the first time with your son. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I came to the U.S. pretty young, um, and, you know, learning the language was still kind of hard, because English is just a really, really hard language to learn. 
Um, and, you know, like, I didn't grow up having cable and all that other stuff. So there was just a lot of Disney movies, like Aladdin, Little Mermaid, um, all those little, you know, Disney movies that I never really watched, partly because I wasn't going to understand them. And I think that by the time I got older, it was kind of like, okay, like, I'm too old to sit here watching, like, Aladdin and all that stuff. So I thought that's how I felt. And everybody else had already seen it, so I was like, whatever. But now, as we're preparing for our baby boy, we just got a Disney Plus um, subscription. And I was looking through all these movies, and I'm like, oh, I just thought it was, like, five or six that I hadn't watched. <laughs> There's, like, a decade's worth of, like, Disney movies that I have never seen. So I think it's going to be super, super awesome just to, like, have that experience with my son. Because he's going to be amazed and watching it for the first time. And I'm going to be, like, a little kid again watching it for the first time with him. Um, so that's, like, super exciting. That is so unique and what a special experience. Yes, yes. So you mentioned that you are from Haiti, which means Mm -hmm. obviously you're black, but you're not African-American. So how does that affect your perspective, especially with the everything that's going on right now with race? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I, I remember when I first came to this country, I mean, I lived in South Florida Um, So it kind of was like a a home away from home because all my neighbors were Caribbean. Um, You know, I had teachers who spoke my language because they were from um, the same country I was from. Um, So it kind of just felt like, okay, cool, like comfortable. Like I have people around me who look like me. Um, When I saw people who are white or other races, it just never really, I just never really thought about it. Um, And it wasn't until I got to, we moved to Georgia. Mm. I started realizing, oh, wait a minute, there's like something different about me. Um, I had, you know, black friends and their experiences, they would be like, oh, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like cultural things such as what they ate, um, just different things about how they grew up. And I just was like, yeah, I don't know. And then it was like, not only that I didn't watch Disney movies, there are all these black movies I'd never seen either. Sure. Kind of like this, like, oh, do you have your black card? Do you not have your black card? And I was like, well, I'm Haitian. You know, and people are like, no, you're African-American, you're black. And I'm like, Mm. no, I'm not African-American. Like, I'm a black Haitian person. Um, Mm. So that was kind of like a struggle of just never really feel like, okay, I know we look the same because it's the same color, but like there was a distinct part of my identity that I felt like wasn't necessarily seen or celebrated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I struggled with that. So I kind of, denounced being Haitian like I stopped mm. Haitian because of all these stereotypes and all these other things it just wasn't cool to be Haitian in the 90s like it just wasn't mm. <laughs> or to be any foreigner really um in the 90s so I kind of struggled with that for a while and I just didn't really like say much of anything I kind of tried to pick up as much of the black culture as you would call it as I could the American black culture And I think it wasn't until I got to college that I really started to experience more things in terms of, like, seeing how racism worked in this country um, and just seeing how people just saw me and clumped me all together. But meeting other people like me and going to a school, um, I went to predominantly white school, but just meeting other black students even though there wasn't a lot of us, but then it was like some of them were from different countries in Africa. Some of them were from different countries in the Caribbean, Trinidad. And I was like, oh my gosh, like you guys kind of get it. And I just started to really embrace more of my culture and just really being just proud of all the identities that I have. You know, it wasn't just one. It was, you know, I am a hate, a black Haitian woman, um, proud Haitian citizen. I'm still a Haitian citizen. Um, and 
then I had to kind of learn about African-Americans in this country, because to be honest, I was kind of ignorant about that history. You know, I come from a people, we're very proud of our history. You know, first independent black nation, um, been, you know, independence since 1804, just all these different things. So all the concepts are just slightly different for me. Um, so being in college and, and just realizing that and be like, oh, there was a difference. It wasn't necessarily a bad difference. It just was their history is a little bit different than mine was. So I started taking African-American studies classes, um, learning about more of, you know, civil rights in the U.S. and racism in the U.S. and all these different things. And it kind of really opened up my mind to understand, but also find my place in it. Mm. When, so my ancestry wasn't necessarily, you know, in America, for instance, like I feel like a lot of African-Americans, they don't always know like, oh, well, I'm from this country in Africa or whatever, or like I can trace it back. A lot of it is just tracing it kind of back to slavery. Um, whereas me, it's like, oh, well, I was born in Haiti, but my people come from Nigeria and some other countries in West Africa. I kind of have more of a direct line to that. So just college is a big opening experience to kind of figuring that mm-hmm. out. I'm just kind of like, I embrace my identity, what I choose mm-hmm. to identify as that makes me comfortable mm-hmm. while still respecting and understanding that, like, as Black people, we all do share something in common, which is, you know, the struggle and which is, you know, the um, horrors of our history mm-hmm. and how we're historically treated um, in America and even in my country before we gained our independence. So, Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about what it's like to be Black in Haiti versus what it's like to be Black in the United States? Um, I mean, I think one is like, of course, it's changed because I did leave Haiti when I was pretty young. But my parents were very, like, always going back and forth. They were very um, adamant about me still being a part of our culture. So I feel like, I mean, if you're in Haiti and you're Black, you're like everybody else. (laughs) Everyone else sees me. I feel like we mainly deal with colorism, which is Mm. a product of racism um compared to just outright like oh there's like this like split really if that makes sense so you go to Haiti everyone's Haitian we're all like we we speak the same language we love the same food like there's just so much um of that and of course there are white people that live in Haiti and things like that um but it's just not like okay well I'm still the majority mm-hmm. you know so being it's coming from us to being a majority to now being a minority Um, so, and then it's like, for us, it's more so we kind of come together as a culture Mm -hmm. and a community and not simply more so in the U S I feel like there's more of a division between races than anything else. Like you're either white, you're black, you're this, here's this box that you are in. Um, so I feel like that's kind of like the huge difference because I identified so much more with my culture than I necessarily did with the race until I came to the U.S. where it was like, oh, no, you kind of have to pick a side. Like, you're kind of like, this is the race that you are in. And when you put yourself, when you're in that box, these are all the things that you're supposed to be. And for me, it's like, no, nope, don't fit that. Don't speak English as <laughs> my first language. I don't eat fried chicken and collard greens. <laughs> um, and then also just meeting African-Americans who weren't like that, who were very different and who did have that and just seeing how, diverse we are as a people as a race as an ethnicity whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it and just seeing the beauty in that and just feeling sad for other people because they don't see it they just see the color of our skin yeah that's so good and you've used a lot of different terms of like race and culture and colorism can you define those a little bit for us so we track with you 
yeah, so race is, it's a human construct. It's not like this real thing, really. It's kind of like, hey, you look different than I do, and here are the boxes that you fit in. Mm. Um, whereas culture is, it's, it's the language, it's the food, it's the religion, it's the different characteristics that, com- that um, bring about a group of people. So if you were to go to Haiti, there are white Haitians, you know, they're still there from um, France, French, who were the people who colonized us, and they get it, like, they speak Creole, like, we share the same culture, though we look different. Now, colorism, it's, it's, I call it, like, the daughter or son or whatever, the offspring of racism, and essentially it's, okay, the darker you are, the less you're seen as valuable mm-hmm. society, um, whereas the lighter you are, um, you kind of just see, it's like, you're kind of better than the others. Um, and it's similar things to as well in America as it is in Haiti. So if you were lighter, you were considered to be prettier, you know, things of that nature. Um, but just also realizing too, that like when you were lighter or if you were mixed, it kind of was like, okay, well something happened, you know, back then because we weren't necessarily allowed to be with you know, our white counterparts or anything of that nature. So it's kind of just a lot of that. Um, but there's come privileges with being a lighter skinned black person. than there is being a darker skinned black person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's bleaching with that mm-hmm. comes colorism. So I have family members who bleached their skin to be lighter. Um, I was always like, oh, you're darky and all these other things. So you've got racism, which is this construct that has caused a lot of damage in many countries slavery is a huge example of that you have colorism which is a byproduct of racism of just kind of again trying to put us into this hierarchy and pinning us against one another and then you have culture which i feel like are the more important things and the things that really unite a people and the thing that really keeps us together um that encompass a lot of beautiful beautiful amazing things yeah thank you for that that's really helpful and then you uh, your husband kosi his family is from Nigeria. So you guys had a cross-cultural wedding. Can Uh you tell us about that? It was awesome. The pictures were beautiful, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. My husband's family is from Nigeria. Um, They also, so it's crazy that we're talking about like culture and all that stuff. So in Nigeria, there are three um, tribes that are the biggest. My husband's family is from the Igbo tribe, uh, specifically from what they call Anambra state. So their culture is very different than someone who's Nigerian, but from, let's say, the Yoruba tribe. And it's really cool because it's like, you look at them like, oh, you're both black. But it's like, no, they speak a different language. They eat different kinds of foods, cultures, languages, and all those beautiful things. Um, But it's actually interesting how similar, though, his Igbo culture is to my Haitian culture. Interesting. Uh, Even some of the foods we eat, they look the same. We call them, but we just call them different things and we season them a little bit differently. So it's like really kind of cool, you know, being getting like meeting his family and kind of seeing those different things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's kind of crazy how much the similarities are. Um, 
our wedding for you know we had all the bright colors and we had nigerian food we had haitian food we had nigerian music and haitian music and it just was like just this huge coming together of cultures that are so similar and that just reminded us that like we all come from the same place it's just you know through colonization and a lot of different changes that it's you know different little differences mm-hmm. happen here and there but i think this is going to be super exciting just kind of seeing our children yeah. grow up and you know we are in we're not an interracial marriage but we are an intercultural mm-hmm. um relationship and i think that's there's so much beauty in that Whereas people go, oh, you both are black, so you're good. Like, it's like, yeah, but we have a lot of cultural differences. And, you know, he had some, you know, cultural traditions that, you know, his family expected him to kind of, you know, adhere to that. I was like, wait, what a minute. Like, what is that? Like, that's, that's, that's not the kind of thing we do. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 beautiful. It's fun. It's challenging sometimes. But nonetheless, I think it's like I embrace his culture. He embraces my culture. Mm-hmm. So that way, when we have our children, it's not like, well, I'm this versus that. It's like, no, this is who I am. This is the mm-hmm. identity culture that, you know, we ascribe to and just love it. Yeah. I love getting to watch from you guys and learn from you guys, both in person and then on the internet as well. And just the cross cross-cultural um, relationships you've got. And then the relationships you guys have with God. We'll talk more about all the work that you guys are doing online together and then independently. Um, But right now, race is a hot topic. Obviously, we live here in Minneapolis where George Floyd was murdered um, not that long ago. Um, We're pre-recording, but it'll be for Black History Month. Right now, it's the week of Martin Luther King Day. Um, Tell us a little bit about how can we be good allies and friends to our friends of color? Yeah. Um, I think when I think about being an ally, it's a couple things. One, an ally is not just this thing that you say, I'm going to identify as an ally, like this little badge of honor. Um, but it's, it's about work and action. And I think those are so many things that people go, well, I'm this, but I'm okay, cool. Now, when you are this or whatever word you ascribe to, how do you show that? How do you act that out? Um, so being an ally is not just proclaiming it, um, but it's about being active. Um, and being active looks like educating yourself through reading books, through being in situations where you're listening more than you necessarily are trying to share your experience. Um, but just listen, like, you know, sometimes I think that the best way an ally can amplify the voices of black people is to just listen <laughs> and to ask questions when appropriate. Um, and to you know, read a book that you normally wouldn't read by a black author or by um, whatever member of the community that you're being an ally to. Because again, mm-hmm. you have allies of, you know, the black community, you have allies of the LGBTQ plus A plus community, like you have different allies. So it might look a little different in terms of how you mm-hmm. show the allyship, but specifically in regards to race, it's amplifying black voices by educating yourself about mm-hmm. the history, by, ed- by getting uncomfortable with certain mm-hmm. colors and not being defensive is something you know you hear doesn't sit well with you but just thinking about that and you know reading different books that people are recommending to you mm-hmm. um, and understanding that like being a majority the way in which you view the world is very different in the way that we view the world um, I'd also say when it comes to allyship it's just understanding no matter how many experiences you have with someone in the black community they're all different mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, if you're hearing black voices speaking and you're hearing black voices share their experience, it's like, oh, well, my 
black friend da, da, and then some of us are like well I don't know about that because like I'm that's just not my experience mm-hmm. so just adding more so to your knowledge base in your book of like oh these are all different things but the best thing I can do right now is to listen mm-hmm. um, and not allow my voice to kind of be the voice that is last heard or not allow my your voice to be like the voice that everyone is like, oh yeah like what so-and-so said because then it's like mm-hmm. Wait, who even started this conversation or who are we even talking about? Because now yeah. the person in the conversation who is white, who is the majority, is kind of like focused more on now what they're saying because the rest of the the rest of the audience can relate to it. Well, it's coming from a white person versus right. no, it needs to challenge me because it's coming from the person who is being oppressed and yeah. who is experiencing these situations. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll say the last thing, because there's a lot of it, there's just like so many layers to it. But I'll say the last thing too is just it's just realizing that and understanding and being okay with the fact that you will never understand. Mm. As an ally, you will never understand what it is like to wake up as a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, you will never understand the fear that I have when it comes to the fear and anxiety. And of course, you know, God tells us to, to not live in fear. Not that I'm living in fear, but it, it's just mm. normal. Um, but the fear and the anxiety that I have when I think about my son getting older and driving and the conversations I'm going to have to have with him. Mm-hmm. And when I, when he wants to wear this or do this, and I'm like, nope. And having to have those conversations, you'll never understand those things because you'll never have to be in those situations. Mm-hmm. Be really careful with the word choice of like, oh, okay, I understand. Or like, no, be like, Hey, mm-hmm don't understand in terms of being able to know what you're feeling and going through, but I want you to know that I know it's not okay. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging yeah. it's not okay. Acknowledging your own prejudices and biases as well and working mm-hmm. on that. Um, but just being that, like being very careful in the word choice and, you know, sometimes I've had allies and people, they say the wrong thing, they do the wrong thing. And if they're open to criticism and they're open to feedback and they're opening to growing, we're good. But you're not an mm-hmm. ally that's not open to doing any of those things, you know? So, yeah. I feel like ally is one of those terms you can't just put your, put on yourself. Someone has to put it on you. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you just have to genuinely be that. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows through your actions, and it shows through your relationships and how you live your life and all those other things. And you can have very non-ally-like moments. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen that a lot. I think we all do that, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. So... How can we love you well as a woman who's who's got Haitian, who's Haitian? I mean, you're, you are Haitian. You're not of Haitian descent. You are Haitian. Um, <laughs> how can we love you well as a woman who is Haitian, who's which is different than the general African-American community that everyone gets stereotyped as? Um, I think one is just acknowledging that, yes, I'm Haitian because that's my culture. That's my people. But the bigger picture is that I am a black woman. Mm-hmm. And... I go through the same things in this country as any other black woman, as any other um, black man. Because when the cops see me, they're not, oh, she's Haitian. They're different. Mm-hmm. Oh, that person's African. They're No, they're just seeing one thing. They're black. So, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I don't always necessarily focus or harp or try to make that distinguish between being black and Haitian. Um, culturally, yeah, because people are like, yo, what are you doing? Like, what language are you speaking? And I'm like, oh, like this whatever. Um, so I think it's just when people say, how can we love the black community better? Um, I think it's, it's a better question. Okay. And I would say how, when this is, how can I love the black community better? 
And if you are a Christian, you need to want to understand that it's not an option. Mm, that's good. That is different than you. That looks different than you. It's not an option. Just like forgiveness as a Christian, that's not an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God didn't say, you have the choice. To- <laughs> no, it just tells you, like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. That is what you need to do. These things aren't options. You don't get to choose to treat someone well and do all those things based on how you feel and then think that God is going to give you a pass. Well, I can understand that, you know, they look different than you. Like Jesus is like, no, that's not what I got. That's not what, you know, I came to earth to do. Yeah. I think that's a big one. It's just one understanding. It's not an option and Mm -hmm. understanding that if God is telling us to do this, because God is commanding everyone to love one another, that he also will show you Mm -hmm. how to do it. Mm, That's good. You to choose whether or not you're going to say, Hey God, I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyways, because at the end of it, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's about bringing him glory. Yeah. Preach girl. The world we live in, the world that so many people are fighting against, you must not want to go to heaven because this is what heaven looks like. Like heaven, there's not a black heaven. There's not a white heaven. There's not a Hispanic heaven. It's heaven. And it's all of God's people. And it's all of God's children. When it's like, how can I love the black community better, especially as a Christian? One is to acknowledge the pain. Mm. Because Christ never healed someone without ever acknowledging the reality they were going through. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. It's understanding. Are you really fighting for what's in the Bible and doing what God's calling you to? Or are you mixing culture and tradition and politics with that? Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 13, it doesn't say love is political. Love, it, no, it doesn't say any of that crap. Like, you're not doing those things. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we try to mix culture and all that stuff. And Jesus Christ said it plainly. He said, mm-hmm. I disrupt culture i came to cause division like when it comes to doing what you need to do as a christian i don't know i just kind of feel like we're, we're allowing it to be tainted by all the other stuff so mm-hmm. love your love yourself for sure but do so in the way that god is calling us to do don't think of love how the world defines it but look at how god defines it When God says to come together, don't think about how the world defines it. Look at how the Bible and God defines it and Mm -hmm. guide you because that's the only, no book, no whatever. The Bible and God will always steer you in the right way. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing something and you're not sure and you're like, "Mm, I don't remember ever hearing about Jesus doing that or treating people like that, then you're probably wrong, (laughs) you know? Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Part of that is just more so like, especially with the evangelical church, to not address, to not love on, to not acknowledge the pain that people are going and to simply talk about Exodus or do some sermon about peace and unity. Um, that's not Christ like. Mm-hmm. That's not loving. Yeah. It's not, you know? Um, and I think that love does make you uncomfortable love should make you change you know like love does those things and that's the kind of love that um you know withstands all things the human definition of love the worldly definition of love 
like that's it's it's like the snow it's here it sticks a little bit environment changes it's gone <laughs> like you know that's not the kind of love that we're talking about so I think it's, it's a lot of soul searching it's a lot of being uncomfortable and understanding that and it's it's knowing that love is not a not simply a feeling mm-hmm. it's an word all those Things of what love is in the first Corinthians, those are action words. You have to be kind. You aren't just kind. You have mm-hmm. to be patient. Patience. You know, all these different things. So it's like, let's kind of really look at that a little bit more. Yeah. I love that. And I am so glad that you brought all of that scripture into it because I think that that is vital. Yeah. And it leads perfectly into our next thought of what's it like to be a black woman in seminary? It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So I am in the Masters of Divinity program at Bethel. And at first, I was the only person, like, black woman in the class. I was the only black person in the class. Um, And then now with my cohort, um, it's me and one other African-American girl. So it's just two of us. Um, So I think it's kind of like a two-part thing of, like, what is it like to be a black person in seminary? And then it's like, what is it like to be a woman in seminary? Yeah. And it's interesting because my pastor, um, Reverend Nicole Bullock, she is an African-American woman from Chicago, and she is one of the most amazing people and amazing speakers I've ever met. And I remember, you know, hearing some of her stories and hearing some other new people's stories about being mm-hmm. in seminary, and it's mostly white white men, white male, mm-hmm. white cisgender males. Um, and you know, I'll be in class and I'm just excited and I love it. And the great thing though, I will say is that my courses and the people, it's, it's pretty diverse. I have men and women. I've been in, pe- in classes with people who are from China and converted to Christianity. Um, I had one classmate who was, um, grew up Buddhist. He found Christ wow. and, you know, had to really go through that with his family. Um, I have another classmate who's from India um, so it's just really awesome to see all that. I have a professor who's of Asian, who's Asian, um, who's lived in London and all these different places in Europe teaching the word of God. So wow. it's really able to kind of see all those different things. But I know that what I what I have and what I've experienced is rare. Mm-hmm. But I will say it's it's still difficult because I still question if whether I belong there or not. Mm. I still feel like there are some men. Um, who feel like women don't have a role in that. Because mm-hmm. in seminary, there are many majors you can kind of major and focus on. And I'm doing the, you know, overall big one because my goal is to be ordained one day. And, you know, when I tell people like, hey, I'm doing this program, they're kind of like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't stutter. You know, I'm very mm-hmm. sure this is what God told me to do. So it's just, it, it's no different for me than my other experiences in education of being the only black person or being a minority or anything of that nature. But I had one of my professors tell me, she said, you know, the kingdom needs you because you offer such a unique perspective. Not Thank just you. being a woman, but being, a, you know, being from a different country, being Haitian and all the experiences that I've gone through and stuff like that. And I'm just like, you're right. God mm-hmm. here for a reason, you know, but so far I would just say my experience at Bethel has been amazing um, and beautiful. I've heard other stories. It's not so much. So I will just say that like, I'm fortunate to be in that. So my experience has been good. Um, part of it is because I'm used to not to being the only person in a room mm-hmm. that was like 
me or having maybe one other person. And, you know, that doesn't really bother me anymore um, like it used to. But I think I think the hardest thing was definitely hearing my parent, my father's response to me being in seminary. Um, I was actually pursuing nursing. I was pursuing mm-hmm. a master in nursing and, you know, they all knew that very well and they knew I was in school. And then God was like, you know, you're in the wrong place. It's not quite what I want you to do. And he called me out of that nursing and into seminary. And I remember I told, I think I told my father, I was kind of apprehensive because my, I grew up in a very patriarchal, like just law-based kind of church. It was stifling. You know, it was like, women, you don't, you can't do this. You can only do that. Misinterpretation of Timothy in terms of what women can and can't do and things of that nature. And I remember telling him just cause I'm like, Hey, I know in two years, you're going to expect to come up here for a graduation. Um, and you might, it just won't be for a nursing degree. And I remember telling him and his response was just that, well, you're wrong. Mm. You didn't hear God, right? What you're doing is unbiblical. You need to go back and read your Bible. I'm going to pray that God with you so that I can reveal to you basically the errors of your ways and, essentially told me I was going to hell and that if I were to ever have a church, he would never set foot in my church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember hearing that. And for some reason I was upset, not surprised, but it pushed me to actually do it. Mm. I was like, after getting off the phone with him, I was like, Oh, you really want me to do this God? <laughs> because it was uncomfortable. Like, I, I knew that, like, this wasn't of my own free will. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this crazy thing. But, like, it was like God was like, you know, and I just had to remember, you know, what the Bible says, that when God calls you to things, you know, it's going to be, like, mothers against daughters, fathers against the sons. And it's like, at the end of the day, I'm doing his will. Um, so some a lot of those scriptures and a lot of those things started becoming really real for me in that moment. Because mm-hmm. here it was, this man that, you know, raised me and, it's part of the reason why I know God. And they're just basically saying, because I feel like God has called me to do a life of ministry and to impact people's lives, that that negates everything else about the work of God on the, of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I'm going to hell for it. And it just was like, this is why I need to go because Mm -hmm. I to be equipped to teach people that their interpretation of the word of God makes sense why so many people are easily offended by God because they don't even know who he really is. Mm. And yeah, that just was like, all right, well, this hurts. It's frustrating. I can't talk to you about it. Um, but you're wrong. And I had to endure weeks of being sent um, sermons and Bible verses about why what I was doing was wrong. And I finally was just like, hey, I didn't tell you this to ask for your permission. Mm-hmm. I already got permission from God and his word trumps whatever you can say. I just called to tell you this out of respect. Mm. And that was kind of like a a moment for me to realize like, okay, I need to start having better boundaries. Um, So yeah, long story short, seminary is great. My experience has been there has been great. Bethel has, um, you know, just everything about them. Like I see why God told me to go there out of all the other places I was looking at. Um, I think it was just harder when it came to telling family. And now it's just kind of like, God's like, he will confound the wise. Yeah. I'll just wait. That's for awesome. 
And I'm so glad that you've had a good seminary experience because I remember talking about that before you enrolled and my experience was not as great. (laughs) I remember asking and you were like, it was terrible. And I was like, wait, and I was like, God, why did you have me talk to her? (laughs) I, at first I was like, I don't really know how to say this. It was awful. And you're like, God told me to talk to you. And I'm like, well, then I guess he wants me to just lay it out. Yeah, I was like, okay, God, like, I'll talk to her. And then you just, after our conversation, I was in my car. I'm just like, do you want me to go? Or are you like, like, what's happening? Um, and I was like, she does that sound like, that doesn't sound like what I want to do, God. Like, that's, I already have enough crap to not have the experience she had. And God was just like, and it was great because I feel like God was like showing me all these, like, mm-hmm. I don't like the, not the bad, but like the struggle. Yeah. You know, and then I realized one day I'm like, I don't wake up saying, hey, I'm black. I want to be persecuted today or shot to death. Like, that's just right. not what I wake up doing. But everything is sacrifice. And that's yeah. one of the things about being when you say you're a Christian, you have you're also saying yes to sacrifice mm-hmm. and yes, to, um, tribulations and things like that. And I was like, if she went through that bad of experience, Jesus, and she still wanted to finish and she still felt like this was what you called her to do. I ain't got no choice at this point. Um, <laughs> I think I like, I'll probably send my application into like a couple days after that conversation. Um, yeah. oh, well, I'm glad I didn't talk you out of it because that was not my goal, but I did want to warn you of like, hey, this might be a mess. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, for sure. I, I got a lot of warnings and just a lot of encouragement. You know, even my pastor had a different experience than I did when she was going yeah. through her very um, thing, but yeah. That's awesome. What does ministry look like for you these days? Um, you know, working with our young adults at my church, um, Bible studies. Um, I actually just launched my, um, ministry LLC, Least Fair Ministry. Cool. So, you know, my goal is to equip, edify, and elevate women. Love it. Um, just because I feel like we're so powerful. Like God created us. Yeah. So much power and so much strength and so much beauty. And people have to understand, like, when they're reading the Bible, you have to understand the audience was a Jewish audience. <laughs> and their culture doesn't mean that's what God, like, initially wanted and how Jesus, like, the first evangelist was a woman. So many women were in Jesus' ministry. And just, like, I'm like, we are so powerful. And God has such an amazing, like, specific calling and purpose for us that only we can do. Mm-hmm. And I just want to equip women with that knowledge and the word and to use what I'm learning in seminary. So any chance I get to answer a question from someone, I am. So ministry looks like that for me. Um, ministry looks like me being a loving wife. Mm. It looks like some days it could look like just educating someone on something ignorant they said. Um, ministry, you know, and I'm, I just want to show people and tell people, like, ministry is not like, oh, you have a pulpit and you have a platform. Yeah. Your platform is that you're a child of God. Mm-hmm. And you're loved by God and to show that. Um, so, yeah, ministry looks different. Today it looks like, you know, me pouring into myself through the word. It looks like me being a loving wife. Um, it looks like me being a good friend. It looks like me going to therapy so that I can address the traumas in my life so I'm not parenting my son uh, from a place of hurt and trauma. Mm -hmm. All of those things are ministry because the end goal is to give God glory and the end goal is to live a life that when people look at my life and they hear my story and they're like, what is it about you? And I'm like, tell you, let me tell you. Let me tell you how I, you know, made it through a, a um, 
abusive childhood. Let me tell you how I got through the depression and anxiety. Let me tell you how I'm getting through the PTSD. Let me tell you how I'm healing from the sexual assault. Let me tell you all these things. And it's mm-hmm. all God. And you can't argue and deny that, like, someone's story in that way. So mm-hmm. just that's ministry. It is. Absolutely. And you're doing that in real-life conversations. I mean, even at work, at school, at church, everywhere you do. You're also doing a lot of that online. So if we are like, hey, Lise Farah has fun stuff she likes to say. I want to know more about her. Where can we find you? Yep. You can find me on Instagram at Lise Farah as well as on YouTube. Um, just, you know, I've been creating more content around a lot of these different things. Um, so yeah, at Lise Farah on all my social media platforms. I'm there. I'm either wearing yellow or you'll see a pregnant belly. <laughs> so it's it's me. I promise. Um, but yeah, so you can definitely connect with me. I love connecting with people. I love talking to people. Like this is one topic I will never, ever stop talking about. Um, and it's interesting because so my personality types and everything people would think it would be extrovertedness, but it's not. Interesting. It's like, I'm an INFJ, like Mm -hmm. I'm very introverted. Um, and I think it's because extroverts get energy from people mm-hmm. introverts they lose energy when they're around mm-hmm. a lot of people so I love my quiet time I love you know all those things but when it comes to what I'm passionate about and when it comes to the word of God and it comes to all those things I'm ready like who I gotta talk to okay we're gonna, do <laughs> today. We're gonna preach today and I love it you know but just showing you that when you're doing something for God you can see my character yeah, I've seen some truly like introverted people who aren't as like, you know, bold and like, ha, as I can be. And when they get on a stage or when they get to talk about God, you're like, who is this person? And that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you are a powerhouse. I've seen you preach. I've heard your life. I've we've spent time together and I love the work that the Lord is doing through you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So we have two final questions for you. The first one is, would you be willing to pray for us? Of course. Of cool. course, I would love to. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Abba. We just welcome you right now in this space. Um, and as I pray, God, I just have so much joy in my heart because I know that whoever listens to this, they were meant to listen to it. And whenever they're listening to it, that this prayer transcends time and can still touch them and can still speak to them. So I pray right now, Lord God, for every listener, Lord God, and I pray for everyone connected to every listener, God, that they heard something today, Lord God, that was that push they needed to just say yes to you and for them to know that it is the best yes that they will ever say to you. I pray right now, Lord God, for anyone who wants to change and to be better and to grow and to educate themselves, Lord God, I pray that your spirit of gentleness and your spirit of wisdom and your spirit of humbleness, Lord God, comes upon them as they go on that journey, Lord. I pray, God, right now that you just have a stirring up in all of our hearts, that heaven comes down to earth, Lord God, and that there is a revival and a renewness and a fresh wind of your spirit, Lord God, amongst the hearts of your children, Lord God, so that we can go out there and bring more hope and love to those who are lost and even those who know you but are a little discouraged right now. I thank you for this time and this opportunity to just talk about you and share um, 
the good news by the way that you have transformed my life and even um, my sister Katie's life, Lord God. So I just thank you and I just love you, God. And I just know that you're working. Even if we can't see it, we know that you're working and that you transcend all all things. And I just humbly pray, Lord God, that you continue to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, so that we can see where you're working and partner with you, God, because that is what you want. You want us to be in partnership and in community with you and to build that intimacy. So we just thank you and we love you, God. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm always so blessed when people are willing to pray on the show because I'm like, oh, this is so good. (laughs) I feel like you learn a lot about people when you hear them talk to God. Yes, I agree. I agree. So our uh, final question and you can interpret this in the conversation, in the context of the conversation we've already had, or you can go a completely different direction with it. What do you wish everyone knew? I wish everyone knew that there is nothing in their past, present, or future that is powerful enough to make God give up on you. Amen. Mm, that's so good. That's Romans 8. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Well, Elise Farah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to share your heart, to share your wisdom, um, to preach to us. This has been phenomenal. I have things that I want to go chew on with Jesus. That's always how I consider content good. Do I need to go sit with Jesus after I've chatted? And I definitely do. So thank you so much for who you are. We appreciate you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Definitely. I love Lise Farah, and I love her point that if you're a Christian, it's not an option to love someone who's different than you. It's not optional. You are called to love that person, and that's exactly what Have Hope Will Travel is all about. So if you appreciated what she had to say, make sure to connect with her on Instagram and YouTube, Lise Farah, L-I-S-E-F-A-R-A-H. While you're over there, I'm on Instagram as well, at Katie Axelson, that's K-A-T-I-E. A-X-E-L-S-O-N. As always, if this episode resonated with you, send it to a friend, leave a rating, leave a review. We will see you again in two weeks. Be blessed, my friends. Know that you are loved, know that you matter, and know that you are called to something good. And that good a lot of times looks like loving other people. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye.